Pascha week is a period in the year where the church relives hour by hour all the events of the final days of our Lord Jesus Christ, culminating in his victorious crucifixion and his glorious resurrection. Upper Room Media presents to you the Pascha week sermons. In the name of the Father and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God. Amen. As we are here going through the events of Good Friday with our Lord, we want to start with a quote from St. Ignatius on the site of our Lord today, on, on this site right here. This image of Christ being crucified with the two criminals, one on his left, one on his right, and the whole scene in general. St. Ignatius says, It was the site we now commemorate in the present church service, and behold the sacred image before our eyes. The site was the Son of God who came down from heavens, became man for the salvation of human race, and was mocked and scourged by men. What feeling, if not that of horror, should wholly envelop the heart at this site? What state if not a state of absolute bewilderment, should be our state of mind. What word could be pronounced at this sight? Does not every human word die upon the lips before it can even proceed from the lips? So St. Ignatius is saying to us today, at the sight of our Lord being crucified, at the, the sight of the, the sovereign ruler of the universe, God incarnate, Men are scourging him, people are spitting at him, they're hitting him. He is being crucified. It's something we can't even fathom. And in the sixth hour gospels, there's a particular account which is extremely special in terms of what it reveals about Christ and what it reveals about us. But before diving in, again, I, I, I want us to imagine this image of Christ being crucified. And I mean, clearly, we're, this is why we're here and it's here in front of us. Christ being crucified and what's happening during this scene. Him on the cross with the, the two criminals next to him and people walking by, wagging their heads and, and saying, you know, you saved others, you couldn't save yourself. We want this image in our head as the backdrop to what we're going to talk about. In the sixth hour Gospels, we hear that there were two criminals led with him to be put to death. The criminals, one on the left, one on the right. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And people are sneering and they're jeering and they're shaking their heads. If you're the king of the Jews, save yourself. Others say, other, others, he saved himself, he cannot save. The soldiers are also mocking, giving him sour wine. Then one of the ones crucified with him says, if you are the Christ, save yourself and us. So one of the people crucified with him joins in with everyone else and says, yeah, we can use some help. If you're really him, take us with you, get us out of here. But the other one is who we want to talk about today. The other one says, he rebuking him says, do you not even fear God? Do you not even fear God? We got what we deserve, but this man has done nothing wrong. Then he says to the Lord, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And it's a count that we only see in the book of Luke. If you paid attention in the sixth hour, we read all the gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and only Luke is the one who gives us this account. The other gospels tell us that there were two thieves that were crucified with him. But the account of remember me, Lord, when you enter your kingdom is only given to us in Luke. And we really have to understand the context of what's happening. 
right? Everyone, if you imagine the scene, like St. Ignatius is telling us, imagine the scene, everyone is walking by, they're, they're laughing and they're like, this guy he healed the blind and the sick and he can't save himself. And a criminal, a criminal is the one who stands up for Christ. Not the followers, not the disciples, not the rulers, not the soldiers, not anyone but a criminal who sees and knows Christ for who he truly is. And there's something really remarkable here. It's actually the essence of Christianity. In this account, you know, most of us when we hear about this story, we say it's, you know, it's a simple account of repentance. You know, he repented and he was saved, and, but there's actually much more profound than this. Who was this guy? Who is this thief or this criminal? Actually, St. Luke doesn't call him a thief. He calls him a criminal. The others call him a thief. So who is this guy? And if you read the Gospels, we don't even get a name. And actually, it's only the Coptic church that has a count of his name. Right? We call him Demas. And we have an account of the other one. His name is Justus, the one that mocked Christ. And when we read Luke 23, then one of the criminals, we're repeating here a little bit, one of the criminals who were hanged blasphemed, saying, If you are the Christ, save yourself. But the other, Dimas, answered, saying, Do you not even fear God, seeing you are under the same condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we receive our due rewards for our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said to Jesus, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And we know Jesus said to him, Assuredly, I say to you today, you will be with me in paradise. And this is a very, very important moment. And if you look at some of the banners, actually, the banners have this, this saying, Remember me when you come into your kingdom. And just as he knew he deserved what he and the other thief deserved, or the other criminal deserved, for he says, we are rightfully here. But this man, he has done nothing wrong. He knows, this is a statement of fact, if you think about it. It's a statement of fact. This man did nothing wrong. How did he know this? How did he come to say it with such confidence? There's an account, there's an account of tradition that is shared throughout the ages. There's a tradition that says, and I just found out recently that in some monasteries, when you see the icon of the Holy Family traveling, there is someone hidden behind following them. And tradition says that as the Holy Family was traveling, that this thief or this criminal stole from them a blanket that Jesus, the baby Jesus, was wrapped in. And he couldn't get the smell off of it. There was, there was a smell of perfume, of sweetness on this blanket that he couldn't get rid of. And there's other accounts that say that he squeezed it out and sold it this perfume and that later on years and years later on the cross he hasn't smelled this smell not once his entire life until he was next to Christ on the cross smelling this this smell Jesus remember me when you come into your kingdom sometimes we take this sentence for granted as this it's just the thing that that guy said on the cross just the thing that the thief said but remember me actually in biblical account means recall me to your mind and have mercy on me. And if you remember the example of Joseph when he was in prison, when the butler was released, what did he tell the butler? Hmm? Remember me, right? Does that mean remember me from time to time when you're, uh, when you're working? Have fond memories of me? No. Remember me meaning call me to your mind and have mercy on me. Intercede on my behalf with the king. This is what remember me means here. So this criminal 
on the cross is not telling Christ to remember me when you get to your kingdom oh there was this guy who was crucified next to me no but call me to your mind and have mercy on me have mercy on me and if you think about it he was asking Christ to, you know, to, to, to have mercy on him in his kingdom. He knew that Christ had his kingdom not of this world. Because it would have made more sense if he thought that Christ was going to be released. Right? These words would have made more sense if he believed just like everyone else that this king came to be a political king to free them from the Romans so that they wouldn't have to pay taxes anymore and he was going to sit on the throne of David and, and rule. It would make more sense. Remember me when you, when you have your kingdom here and, and make me rich, make me someone in the palace. But no, he knew that they were both in this situation until the end. He knew that they weren't going to make it out of this situation. He knew that this was unto death. There is no possibility of remembrance on earth. So this is a crucified criminal looking at another crucified man knowing that they would both die. And he saw something that no one else saw. He saw something that no one else saw. And this was the first time we, they met. I mean, according to tradition, they met in the past, but this is the first time that they met. So why these words? What did the criminal see? Even if he were to hear him preach, even if he saw him before, why these words, remember me when you come into your kingdom? He lived a life of sin his whole life, but what is it that he saw? What did he see beyond the man crucified who is deserted by everyone, and yet this criminal places all of his hopes in him? This criminal sees something, and this is what we want to focus on. And we actually ask this question in the sixth hour in the litanies. What did you see? What was it that you saw? You saw something. What was it? There are two people who can help us understand this account. One of them is Plato from the 5th century, the philosopher, and Origen, the theologian from the 3rd century. And if you look at one of Plato's works, it's going to sound strange in the beginning, but if in one of his works... He tries to illustrate this image of people not understanding other people's realities. He has this illustration of a cave and three people who are tied to the, facing the wall from birth. So if you can imagine inside of a cave, three people are born, they're, they're tied to this wall and all they know as they're growing is this wall. They don't see, they haven't seen sunlight, they've never seen anything else. They hear sounds behind them and they hear someone making a fire behind them and they only see the shadow of the fire on the wall. And Plato says, if you take one of these prisoners and set them free, and he turns around and looks at the fire, he will be convinced that the shadow is the real thing and want to go back to being chained. Because that is the reality he knows. The fire is actually the, the figment of his, his imagination or something that's, you know, he doesn't understand what it is. But the shadow for him is reality because it's the only reality that he's always known. And if he went back to the prisoners and tells them what he saw, they would think he was what? He was crazy. No, this is not reality. This is what we know, the shadow on the wall. So why do we share this story? Because today, we come to four points to help us understand our Lord as this criminal understood Him. To help us gain access to what this criminal gained access to. The first one is an awakening. A realization that what we think is reality is not really reality until we do something. And we'll get into that in a moment. The second point is an ascent. We need to break free from the chains and my false, our false sense of reality and into a real one. And the third is suffering. 
moving from darkness to light burns the eyes, right? You ever, you're in a dark room and you go into the light, what happens to your eyes? You have to close them for a second. You can't open them right away. There's a little bit of suffering. And this is what happens when we come to the realization of who Christ is. There needs to be a little bit of suffering. There needs to be a crucifixion on our part. And four, I become an outsider. Because it's impossible to explain what you experience, our experience with Christ to people without them having experienced it. And there are two saints who can help us with this. Saint Basil the Great says, As it is impossible to verbally describe the sweetness of honey to one who has never tasted honey, so the goodness of God cannot be clearly communicated by the way of teaching if we ourselves are not able to penetrate into the goodness of the Lord by our own experience. If you think about it, it makes sense. You can't really explain what honey is to someone who's never had it. You could say it's sweet, but so sugar. Right? You can't, someone has to explain it, uh, experience it for themselves. And St. Nicholas tells us if a person, and mind you, before reading this, this is before Google and before iPhones and before any pictures. Just keep that in mind before I read this next saying from the fathers. If a person wants to get an idea about the pyramids of Egypt, he must either trust those who have been in immediate proximity to the pyramids, or he must get next to them himself. There is no third option. Now, unfortunately, we have a third option. We could take pictures in Google, we could see what they look like. But back then, there was no third option. In the same way, a person can get an impression of God, he must either trust those who have stood and stand in immediate proximity to God, or he must take great pains to come in such proximity to God himself. So this is what we're talking about today. How is it that we can come into proximity to God to see him as this criminal saw him? To put all of our faith and our hope in him to the point where he is saved by that one phrase. This was Plato's account. In Origen's account, we see something remarkable. He says the disciples are with Christ for three years, three and change. They see him, they see the miracles, they see the eyes of the blind being opened, they see him raise people from the dead, they see him transfigured, some of them. Yet they are hiding. At this point, today, right now, the hour that we are commemorating, they're hiding, they're confused, they're scared. Some of them have betrayed him. They didn't understand Christ in this reality. This is why we brought up reality. They didn't understand that this was God incarnate. Even though they saw everything in the flesh. They saw Him, they were with Him. They ate with Him, they on boats with Him. But they still didn't understand the same reality that this criminal understood. This criminal in those moments on the cross, he knew Christ. He knew exactly who Christ was. Origen says that this can only happen at the cross, that we can only know God at the cross. We see Christ as He is in word, as the word of God, but we don't know the reality of Him until we see Him for who He truly is. Like this criminal, the last dialogue before Christ dies, the thief never knew Him in the flesh as the disciples did, but he knows Him much better than the disciples and more intimately. And for us today, we must understand that unless we are crucified with Him, we do not know Him. And we will not know Him. So we are not here today just to witness an account of Christ being crucified. We are here today to be crucified with Him. And if we are not willing to be crucified with Him, then we will never know Him. We will never know Him. Unless we ascend the cross and crucify our passions, our desires, we cannot know Him. And unless we are crucified with Him, again, we do not know Him. This thief did not see Christ in His glory. He saw Christ beaten, right? Asking for help, my God, my God, why have Thou forsaken me? He saw Him drinking vinegar. The fathers tell us that the key to Christ and to knowing Christ is the cross. 
the key to opening the heart for God is the cross. And St. Paul tells us in Romans 18, the Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs. If heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with Him, that we also may be glorified together. So all of this, this heirs and being heirs and being glorified has a condition. Only if we co-suffer with Him will we be glorified. Our being heirs of the kingdom is contingent on us suffering with Him. And there's something else we want to talk about. According to many sources, by the way, if you read the Greek manuscripts and the Greek texts, and if you study the theology of what really happened here, there is no Lord. In Greek early manuscripts, he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. He didn't say, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. It's a subtle point, but it's important to discuss that there is no Lord here. This criminal simply, directly, and intimately, with all familiarity, calls him Jesus. Like he's talking to his best friend, someone he's known his whole life. The remarkable thing here is nowhere in the entire four Gospels does anyone address him as just Jesus. Except for here. Everywhere else it's Jesus, the Son of God, Jesus, the Son of David, Master Jesus, Jesus of Nazareth. Never just Jesus when someone is addressing him. But only here does this thief, this criminal say to him, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. So what's Luke really trying to tell us here? Even though many manuscripts try to correct this and they add Lord thinking that it's a, it's a typo, there was no Lord. The one who dared to be intimate was the one who ascended the cross with him and he's the only one to know him on that level in truth and reality. In Galatians 6, Paul says, I carry the marks of Jesus in my body. Not my Lord Jesus. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, we read, But we have this treasure within vessels, that the excellence of the power may be of God, and not in us. We are hard-pressed on every side, yet not crushed. We are perplexed, perplexed but not in despair. For we live, are always de delivered to death for Jesus' sake. For the life of Jesus, not Lord. For Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So then death is working in us, but life in you. Again, notice simply Jesus. Something extremely unusual here. When we're talking about suffering, when we're talking about hardships and tribulations, this is when we are the closest to Christ. This is when Christ becomes Jesus. My Lord, my Savior. There's an intimacy there, and it only comes through suffering. So what's the point that we're trying to make here today? The whole point that we're trying to make here today is that we cannot know Christ until we are co-crucified with Him. Just like this criminal who is crucified with Him said, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And if you think about it, he didn't even get what he asked for. Right? He said, remember me when you come into your kingdom. He didn't get what he asked for. What did he get? He got the whole thing. Christ said, today, today you will be with me in paradise. So we want to know what is it that he saw? What did you see, Damas? We ask this again in the litanies. What did you see? He lifted his eyes and he saw a man struggling to breathe, tortured. He saw inexpressible beauty. He saw strength made perfect in weakness. If we were to ask him, I doubt he would have any way to explain to us what he saw. It's beauty that can only be beheld by eyes that have been crucified. A mind that has been crucified. Looking at Christ in any other way, we only know Him according to the flesh. Only words in Scripture, but not in intimate encounter with Christ.
according to origin, the, this criminal is who reveals to us how to live for Christ. He also says this criminal who is saved is a symbol of those who after many iniquities have believed in Christ and say that they are crucified with Christ. This is why we say to God, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Christ answers, today you will be with me in the paradise. Today you will be with me in the paradise. There's a beautiful homily by St. Theophilus of Alexandria, who was the patriarch before St. Cyril of Alexandria, about 1600 years ago. And he says, it is the king that they crucified. They struck the head of the Lord, gave him vinegar and gall. They have stripped off the garments of the one who clothed the entire creation. But the sun covered the Lord in his darkness as they were not worthy to see him. This is why there is darkness throughout the land. But the one who is worthy to contemplate his perfect divinity at that moment was the criminal who was crucified with him. What has he seen if not the armies of angels singing hymns? All of the trees blossoming because the creator is on the wood of the cross. He has seen the entire creation established and arranged in the image of the cross. And St. Theophilus talks about Christ's response. Christ doesn't just say, you will be with me in paradise. What is Christ really saying? He's saying the gate of paradise has been closed since Adam transgressed. But I will open it today for you and receive you because you have shared with me in the suffering of the cross. You have realized my divinity. You have united yourself to me of your own free will. I will glorify you in the presence of angels. I will therefore love you and my Father will love you. And you who were once a companion of murderers, behold, I who, I who am the life of all now made you a companion with me. You who once walked in the night with the sons of darkness, behold, I who am the light of the world make you walk with me. So this is a homily from the 4th century and it sees clearly that there was one who was worthy to see Christ in truth and it was this man who was crucified with him. Our Lord says this to us today. Today you will be with me in paradise if and only if we are willing to be crucified with him. Only when I detach myself from my chains. Only when I ascend to the cross and crucify my ego my pride only when I live for others only when I say to him remember me have mercy on me only when I am next to him on the cross only then do I know him in spirit and truth only then will I see inexpressible beauty only then can I call him Jesus without titles intimately only then can I say with Paul I am crucified with Christ it is no longer I who live but Christ who lives in me only then will I hear those most pure words. Today, you will be with me. St. <laughs> Ephraim, the Syrian of the 4th century says, Christ submitted all people to the weakness of the cross. Stretch out your hands to the cross so that the crucified Lord may stretch out his arms to embrace us. Stretch out your hands so that Christ on the cross may embrace us. May God enlighten our minds and our hearts to understand what really happened between this criminal and our Lord. May He give us grace to be crucified with Him of our own free will as He was crucified for us of His own free will. And may we hear those beautiful words today. You will be with me in the paradise. And glory be to God forever. Amen. This talk was brought to you by Upper Room Media. 
We hope that this talk has, through the grace of God, touched your heart, and we pray that it will not only inform you, but will also transform you and your life with Christ.